0: Okay, so we are back in Luke, right? And so if you remember, um, we've kind of been in Luke since um, around Advent. We started Luke around Advent, and we're working slowly through um, the Gospel of Luke, and it's my intention to go through the whole book. And so um, we'll see how that plays out over the next um, probably year or two, um, because that's probably what it's going to take to get us all the way through it. Um, and so one of the things we talked about already is we talked about how Luke in his, um, gospel, um, you could say kind of flips the script, um, on, on life and, and how we do life, right? There's a lot of things in the gospel of Luke, um, where, uh, he, um, he's explaining to us how the coming of Jesus Christ changes, um, all kinds of things, right? We see things from a different, um, uh, in a different aspect, a different light. Um, that that um, the ways that we assume the world works um, are no longer the way they worked, or maybe were never the way they worked. Um, and Jesus is here to make that clear now. Right? That that, that Christianity is not just um, a a new decent way of living or something like that. Right? It is. It's a paradigm shift. That um, that that Christianity, you could say, changes the scorecard. Okay. Right. You like you understand what I mean by that, right? When we ask ourselves about things that mark, you know, our happiness and our rightness before God, um, all we ask all these questions of our own lives, and, and Luke is showing us that everything is kind of turned upside down with the coming of Jesus. That the things we thought were the way the world worked are actually not. So we're just going to kind of jump in and and, and talk about this passage. Um, So this is a section of scripture that's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, okay? The Sermon on the Plain. And the reason why it's called that, uh, if you've read it or if you've read ahead, you might notice there's a lot of similarities between it and the Sermon on the Mount, which is obviously kind of Jesus' more more well-known sermon. The reason why it's called the Sermon on the Plain is because there in verse 17 it says that Jesus came down with them and he stood on a level place, Okay. And so when it talks about it's that place that wherever Jesus is at this level place, then the, the early readers of the Bible said, okay, well, he's on some sort of plain area. He's come down from the hills and he's on this flat area. And so we're going to call this section the Sermon on the Plain. Um, now here's the deal though, is if you start reading this passage and reading ahead a little bit, you'll notice a whole lot of similarities between this and the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. A lot of the same stuff is talked about, a lot of the same um um points are made by Jesus, and there's at least a couple of theories as to why that is. Okay? And and, and it's a little bit important because it can um, influence the way you kind of read these these passages somewhat. Uh, typically there's three explanations, right? Number one is that seems like the obvious answer is that there's two different sermons. One of them was the Sermon on the Mount, um, another one is the Sermon on the Plain, but the reason why they're similar is because it's the same Jesus teaching in both of those contexts, right? And so much of the content is is the same, right? Um, other people have theorized that these are actually not two different sermons. This is the same sermon that both Luke and Matthew were referring to. And so there's one sermon with different emphases, right? That Luke emphasizes some things and Matthew emphasizes some things, but it's the same sermon, this one sermon that Jesus preached. And then there's kind of a third theory, I guess you could say, that that there wasn't actually a sermon on the plain or a sermon on the mount per se, at all, but they're sort of literary devices, okay? And so essentially what they are is they are Matthew and Luke's ways of summarizing the teaching of Jesus in this one place um, and sort of just saying a bunch of things all amalgamated together that represent the kind of things that Jesus preached on all the time, right? So that's kind of the three ideas. Honestly, I don't think it's that critical which one you think. It doesn't really matter that much which one it is. But, but what does matter, I think, for our context is the audience. Who is Jesus preaching to in this sermon? Well, what does it say in verse 20? It says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said to them, right, okay? So so Jesus is specifically talking to the disciples in the sermon on the plane. This is why that's important um, because he's not just talking to the crowds in general, okay? That means he's speaking to people who have chosen to follow him. Chosen to live their lives in light of the teachings of Jesus, okay? And that makes a difference on how we read this thing. Um, It's important because it clarifies how we read it. He's not talking to all poor, for example. Um, He's talking to believers, who are poor, right? He's not talking to all persecuted people anywhere in the history of the world. He's talking to believers who are persecuted, right? He's talking to people who have chosen the way of Christ and then are now um, suffering from these different situations that he mentions, okay? And that's important because it means that he is making statements not about society in general, but about his kingdom, about Jesus' kingdom, about his people and how they live in the current world, right? So so you might say it like this. The Sermon on the Plain is is a sanctification sermon, right? It's not so much a salvation message. It's a sanctification message. It's a message that gives us the ethic of the kingdom. This is how people who have chosen Christ are supposed to think and supposed to live and how we are supposed to go about our lives. Okay. And that's important. Again, I think it's, I think it's timely for our culture right now. And here's, here's just one reason. Okay. There is a lot of Marxist kind of ideology going on in our culture right now. Right. It's sort of a hot button topic, right? We keep on hearing things in the news about different groups and different politicians and different things that have some sort of Marxist kind of leaning. Right. And there are those voices in the church that honestly for decades have been trying to say, um, that that Marxist ideology should be applied to the church, right? But if you start with Marxist ideology and then try to interpret the scriptures, you're going to get a little bit of a different understanding of things. And so, stuff like this passage, it, it's it's particularly important for that. Um, I think you'll miss the point of passages. So, for example, you'll read a passage like this and read about blessed are the poor. And from sort of a Marxist ideology, you would say, yeah, well, that's because the poor are the good guys, right? They're the good. They're inherently, um, good. They're, they're, they're the, they're the righteous ones, right? And the rich people are inherently the bad people in the story. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I don't think he's trying to use this as a blanket statement about how society is. Okay. But he is talking specifically about believers and the new spiritual realities of being a believer and living that out okay and so again one way that we could talk about this as we read the sermon on the plane especially the section that we would call maybe the blessings and woes the beatitudes and the woes is that we think of it in terms of jesus is changing the scorecard jesus is changing the ways that we answer questions like how do you know that god is pleased with you how do you know that you are blessed by God? What are the things that you were aiming for, for happiness and contentment and rightness in the world, Right? Those are the kinds of questions that we are asking as believers that Jesus is addressing in this passage, right? So he has these four blessings, these four blessed statements, and then these four woes statements. So let's start with the blessings, right? We actually just mentioned that last weekend in our passage from the Psalms, right? We asked, what does it mean to be blessed, right? Blessed are the, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, we talked about the idea that it just means basically happy, right? But it means like truly happy right? Uh, Divinely happy, rightly happy. Okay. And so Jesus is giving us several phrases where he's saying, blessed are people in these circumstances. Okay. So let's look at them. The first one is, says blessed are the poor. Okay. Now here's something that's interesting, especially if you're looking at Matthew's Beatitudes, okay? Because Matthew words it differently. He doesn't just say poor. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, okay? And here's the deal. I think the reason for that is, is because when Luke uses that word poor, he's not actually talking about poverty in terms of material poverty, okay? Now, it could include that possibly, um, but it's not just talking about material poverty. We've talked about this before. There's two words in, in um, Greek for poor. There's penes, which means working poor, um, and then there's tokas, which means destitute poor, begging poor, right, bankrupt poor. The words in both Matthew and in, in Luke right here is the tokos word. It means beggarly. Okay. And so here's the deal. I don't think it's necessarily almost none of the disciples, right? Probably none of the disciples and most of the people who had chosen to follow Christ at this point, none of them would have been beggarly, right? They came from working class families. The women who were following Jesus and supporting his ministry probably came from semi-well-off families, right? None of these people would be considered poor monetarily, but you don't have to be poor monetarily to be poor spiritually, Right. And so it ties into that idea of not material wealth, but but spiritual um, in, in a sense. Right. So we're talking about humility here. We're talking about lowliness and meekness. OK. The poor that we're talking about, the, the those who are blessed are those who are meek and humble um, and those who are insignificant in the eyes of the world. Right. Where the world looks at and says, you know, these people aren't important. Uh, they're 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 lowly people. Um, And yet their humility is what marks them, okay? You actually see that in the Old Testament a lot. In the Old Testament, there are numerous passages that compare poverty. So, for example, the opposite of poverty would not be wealth. The opposite of poverty would be pride in many places in the Old Testament, right? And so that's the picture right there. The idea that this poverty, this tokas that we're talking about, is a a spiritual reality, not a, a monetary reality, okay? And so Jesus says, blessed are those who are spiritually lowly. Okay. Verse 21, blessed are those who are hungry now. Okay. So when he uses that word now, this one actually may mean it's, it's, it's probably pointing towards physical hunger. Okay. It's talking about the idea of, of, of not having material blessing, not having material comfort, right? Not having enough to, to live on or to eat or to wear or whatever, right? Um, Blessed are those who are hungry now. So Jesus is saying if you're in a situation now where um, you don't have all the things you need, there's, there's blessedness in that. And we'll get to why that is in just a second, right? Blessed are those who weep now. Those whose lives are marked by sorrow and pain as often as not, right? People who are marked by, by the brokenness that comes along with sickness and death, but also those who are who, who recognize and mourn over and who are sorry and weep over the rebellion that comes from from sin and and violence, um, and the world gives us any number of reasons, right, to weep and to mourn over the things that we see around us, right? Matthew actually uses that very language. He doesn't say blessed are those who weep. He says blessed are those who mourn. And in the context of Matthew, you can you can tell that he's talking about a spiritual kind of mourning. Right? He's not just talking about people who are sad. He's not just saying, oh, you're kind of sad about things. You're blessed. That's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual kind of sadness. Okay? And then finally, this one's mentioned in Matthew's account too. Blessed are those, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Right? To be rejected by the world, right? To lose friends and family. And opportunities and acclaim and community and acceptance to lose those things for the cause of Christ. And that's a super important thing, right? You can lose all those things by being a jerk. Okay. But that's not the kind of blessedness we're talking about. But when we lose those things, that standing in the world because of Jesus, because of the, on account of the son of man, that that's different. Okay. And so I don't know if you're paying attention to to all those different categories, but if you think of the inverse of all of them, it's pretty much the way the world thinks, okay? It's pretty much, it's actually like there's almost a one-to-one correlation between those things and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You guys, are you familiar with that concept, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, it's, it's the same things, right? Physiological needs, safety, belonging, esteem, right? These are the things that the world says, this is the way we, that we work, right? This is the way we are satisfied. These are the things that make us happy. Uh, uh, being a person of importance, um, having lots of comforts, okay? Being accepted and liked and having opportunity in the community that you're in. Um, being happy right? Being and not happy, like, like, um, entertained would maybe even be a better thing, right? Like you're not sad about things, you're not serious about things, right? Your life is jovial, maybe would be a way of, uh, putting it forward, right? This is the way the world thinks, okay? That you need these things to be happy. That's how humanity gauges happiness. Are you happy now? Do you want to be happy in the future? Well, then you need to have respect, position, wealth, comfort, um, be emotionally up, right, okay, mentally balanced, accepted, liked, belong somewhere, right, that's what blessed looks like. And the truth is, man, we, we have the same scorecard a lot of times as Christians. We act the same way and think the same way. We do this all the time. And, and you've probably noticed it. Anytime in your life where something bad came into it, okay, Insignificance, right? You were, you were kind of, uh, uh, humbled in some way, right? Some kind of sorrow, deprivation, rejection comes into your life. How many times do we start thinking this way? I wonder what I did to make God mad. I wonder why God has not blessed me. I wonder why he's rejecting me in some re- way or punishing me for something. Am I out of God's favor? Why am I not living my best life right now? Like why is it that I have missed I don't have these things. Okay. We start thinking that way that we must have done something wrong when these things come into our lives. Okay. But here's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying none of these things are the measuring stick for either your relationship with me or for your happiness. None of those things are the measuring stick, right? So lacking any of those things doesn't make you any less, um, uh, 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 connected to me and it, and it shouldn't make you any less happy. Happiness doesn't come from them. In fact, when we read these passages, the opposite is true, right? Or at least that seems to be what Jesus is telling us. Those who don't um, have these things, right, are counted as blessed. They are counted as happy. And so then the question is, is we have to ask ourselves why? Why is it that poverty Weeping, um, uh, being hungry, being persecuted. Why are those things things that would make us blessed? I don't think it's because they're just intrinsically good somehow. And the reason partly why I don't think that is because as far as I can tell from the scriptures, none of those things are going to be in heaven, right? We are not going to live in eternity in hunger and, and, and uh, persecution and things like that, right? They're not intrinsic goods. That's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? Um, but I think this is what he's getting at because God, the God who, this is why you're blessed in those situations because the God who knows you and watches over you and blesses and rewards his people sees your situation, right? He sees the difficulty you're in and because of the kind of God he is, he is going to, he's made promises to you and He is going to keep those promises and he's going to, um, work to to repay you, and repay is not quite the right word, right? But he's going to um, repay you for the difficulty that you have gone through in the world on account of his son, Jesus Christ, okay? And so the deal is, is you can think of it like this, it's because the reason why you're blessed when you are humbled or or persecuted or whatever is because the God who knows you and is the judge of all things sees and promises that he will make up for these things right and that's all you need you have the promise from god who is like we've already said all wise all good all trustworthy and so you are blessed because of those things hebrews tells us what it says faith is believing that god exists and that he rewards those who seek after him right so if we miss part of that if we're sitting there sort of saying you know, God, I'm trying to follow you and I believe that you exist, but obviously you must not like me because some bad things are coming into my life and you obviously got it out for me or somehow. We are misunderstanding faith, right? We're leaving an element of faith out because that's not the way God promises to act. God says, no, I will bless you. If there's difficulty in your life, trust that I'm going to be there and to bless you um, in the next life. Okay, you're not, you're not missing out on something. You have a promise of something coming. And so that's exactly what he says at the end of every one of those verses, right? You think you're nobody and nothing? You're wrong. Yours is actually the kingdom of God. It belongs to you. You lack even the basic necessities of life? Well, one day you will be satisfied, filled, packed down, pouring over, right? It's picturing that messianic feast at the end of time. You're having hardship and sorrow right now. But guess what? One day you are going to laugh. You are going to share in the eternal joy of the Lord. And so even if you're rejected now or even persecuted, um, ultimately that doesn't matter. Because the only thing that matters is that the God who will judge the universe is for you. And he is your father. And he will turn all of these things into blessings. Right, He will turn all of these things back on themselves in the next life. And so, again, when you consider the scorecard for your life, your place in the world, and your standing before God, what does it say in verse 23? Man, even if things are going by the world's standards poorly, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Right, God sees it, and he's going to reward you in the end. These things aren't the measuring sticks for believers, right? But there's a converse to that, too, as we see in the rest of the passage. If those things don't mean God has not blessed you, then the opposite is true as well. The presence of those worldly goods don't necessarily mean that he's on your side either, right? Um, which is the way that most people, again, would think. It's certainly the way we see people thinking in terms of, of, of uh, prosperity gospel and, and, and things like that, right? The issue is this. The issue is that are you seeking all of these things in and through God, in and through Jesus? Or maybe more precisely, but more precisely, are you seeking God first and then trusting that all these things will be added unto you in the life to come? Are we saying, man, I got to have comfort now at any cost. I got to have acceptance now at any cost. I got to have pleasure now. At any cost, I will seek these things apart from God, or at least to the side of God or something. And those things will make me happy. And when I have them, I'll know that God is blessing me and for me. Okay? This is when Jesus tells us these four woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. Woe again is not a word we use much anymore, right? We like we don't walk around saying woe unto you and things like that. It's not that's not the way we talk anymore. Um, but it's an expression that either means sorrow, right? Woe woe is sorrow, or it's denunciation. Okay, so that means either you're 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 uh, you're saying oh this is not a good situation, or you're saying Um, no, I deny this thing. Okay. woe on this thing. Right. Okay. I think the way he's mainly using it here is basically the way we would say too bad. Okay. Too bad. So if, if in the first section it's saying, um, Hey, are you poor? Don't feel too bad about it because of these reasons. Now he's kind of saying, Oh, are you rich? Too bad. Because this is going to be a consequence of that. Are you full now? Too bad. Um, because this is going to be the consequence of it now, okay? So what are these things, what are the the, the woeful things, right? Um, Why are they woeful? Why is it woeful to be rich? Why is it woeful to be full now? Why is it woeful to laugh now? Why is it woeful to be spoken well of, right? Again, all these things, man. Like, I think the case is, is that every one of us reads these passages and we go, that's the normal stuff that people should shoot for right? Like these aren't bad. Why, why would we, why would there be woe? Why would it be too bad that we fall into those categories? Well, for a couple of reasons, right? We have to recognize one, the dangers and the temptations that come along with all of these things in life. So the pursuit of wealth and comfort can lead us to ignore the higher things that God has called us to. We know that, right? Woe to you who laugh now. Man, was there ever a culture in the history of the world that needed to be entertained more than our culture does, I think, in this current moment, right? And moreover, a culture that was terrified of both sadness and seriousness in some ways, right? Was there ever a culture that so desperately needed to be accepted, not just by friends and family and community, but right by apparently relative strangers in terms of uh, social media and things like that, right? People who are desperately concerned about what other people think about them at all times and yet seem to completely ignore what God thinks about them and what God has declared about them. Jesus reminds us, right? He says, man, the false prophets, everybody thought well of them, um, usually except for the one or two true prophets, Um, who knew what was actually going on. So again, like I don't think that Jesus is saying richness, fullness, laughter in in general, being spoken well of are inherently evil things. You know, we know that can't be the case because it just told us a minute ago that those who mourn now are going to laugh one day, right? Laughter is not bad. That's not the problem. It's, do you, they, you have to recognize that they have a tendency to draw us away from God in the present life, right? Okay, They have a tendency to distract us and pull us from God, but not just that, right? Um, the other problem is, is they tend to be, they end up being means in themselves, okay? And so you've heard me say this any number of times. If you seek after God's blessings first, you'll miss both them and God. But if you'll seek after God first, you will get the blessings thrown in on top of that, right? We, we, we see pictures of that all through the scriptures. We see specific places where Jesus teaches things like that. Remember the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Do you remember what Jesus says to the rich man? He, he, he says Lazarus is, is at, uh, in Abraham's bosom and, and the rich man is, is in agony and God says to him, you already got your good stuff, right? He says, you already received your good things, and now Lazarus is receiving his good things, okay? When you dig into that passage, what you notice is that what's really going on there is that this man has sought after that stuff at the expense of, of what was truly important. Right? It's not that he had these things and that was inherently wrong. It's that he sought after riches. He sought after power. He sought after control, uh, or whatever else, right? Um, at the expense of the higher good. And so what is God saying to him essentially? He's saying, too bad. You've had your good things already. And now there's none of that left. It's almost like you could say none of those things that we do as ends in themselves pass through to the next life, right? We don't carry those things through, okay? So if you, it's that storing up treasure in heaven principle, right? If you try to store up treasures here, you won't be able to take any of them with you, right? But if you'll store up treasures in heaven, they will be waiting for you when you get there. And that's what Jesus is promising us. It's a lot like the story of the prodigal son. Again, you see this kind of allusions to this teaching everywhere. What happens in the story of the prodigal son? The son wants the inheritance now. He wants the things that his father can offer him in terms of of comfort and pleasure and and monetary um, reward, but he doesn't want a relationship with his father. He just wants the stuff, and then he takes the stuff and goes away, okay? And so you see that principle all over the place. When the ends, when the things that we're seeking becomes ends and ends in themselves, um, when they're their own outcome, when you seek after comfort or respect at the expense of a relationship with God, then you shouldn't expect to carry any of those things into the next life. Right. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And so again, that's not the way we normally think. Normally we treat those things as a scorecard, man. If I'm well off and I'm comfortable and I'm happy and I'm uh liked by everybody, it must be because I'm doing it right. It must be because God's favoring me and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't mean that. You may be completely opposite of where you should be, even though all these things are taking place in your life, right? And so, again, we could belabor the point. We talk about prosperity stuff in here. It's not a sign of blessing before God all the time, um, But it makes us start thinking that way, right? Well, my neighbor got a new job, and I'm stuck in this difficult job. job. God must not be happy with me, and he must be happy with my neighbor, right? That person's healthy, and I continue to have health issues. God must be happy with them and not with me. That person has a relationship that I want. I don't have that relationship. Why? It must be because God's happy with that person, and he's not happy with me. And Jesus is saying, not necessarily. That may not be the case at all, Okay. In all these things, God is wise, right? He has planned to give each person what is right in the right time. So, again, we're not saying they're intrinsically negative necessarily, but but God is not only wise in these things, he's also good in them. He's laid up these joys and these blessings for us in the life to come, and he's trustworthy, right? He's the God who's going to settle all accounts one day. And so when he looks down and says, I've seen the difficulty you had. You're my child. I mean, I do that, right? Um, as as a, as a as a pitiful father, right? When I see my kids have had a rough day, I want to do something to make that day better at the end, right? And so I say, "Hey, you know what? You 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 skinned your knee, and you got in a fight, and you lost your toy, and you know, whatever. Let's go get some ice cream, okay? Because that's the simple version of of this in in our lives, right? God does this on an eternal scale. He looks at our lives and said, you went through difficult things. It's not because I wasn't there. It's not because I was mad at you, but you know what? I'm going to make it up to you. Okay. I'm going to make all these things right in your life, but be careful because if you seek after those things wrongly in this life, it may be that you get all you're going to get. And you know what? I do that as a father sometimes too, right? Um, some days when my kids have watched TV all day and play video games and eating garbage, and then we get to night and they're like, can we have some ice cream too? I'm like, You've had all you need for today, right? Okay? Those kind of things, we, we get those pictures. This stuff's important for our everyday lives, man. You can't do missions in these contexts, right? You can't do missions. You can't sacrifice and go to the nations when all you're thinking about is comfort, wealth, stuff. Don't want to get persecuted. Want to make sure everything's cool with me and mine, right? You can't do that. You can't do that with evangelism. Right. You can't go up to somebody and say, man, I want this person to like me so much. And I'm willing to say anything to them to make them like me. And That means not telling about Jesus, because that's going to be hard. Right. That's maybe going to be offensive. That's going to have to say something. I'm going to have to speak truth into this person's life that they may not like. OK, all these things are the reality. And so, again, I think what Jesus is doing is he's changing our scorecard in all of these things right? He's changing the way we think about stuff. And he's saying, if you're having a hard time right now, know that God is with you, is watching over you, and is going to pay you back for all this stuff. He hasn't ignored your suffering in these times, okay? And it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But if things are going pretty well for you, then you know what? Check your life. Ask yourself those questions of saying, Or the reason why these things are the case is because I've been seeking these things first, that I've been ignoring the responsibilities and the calling that Jesus has in my life. Um, Am I going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, you had your good things. And now it's over. Now it's too late. There's no more time to store up treasure in heaven at this point. And so again, we, we read about that in the scriptures, right? Um, that it says you'll still be saved, right? We're not talking about being lost. Jesus is talking to believers in this passage, is he not? Right? He's talking to those who have already followed Jesus. But it's like when he talks about your wood and your hay and your stubble being burned up and your precious metals and your jewels, those lasting through to the other side, right? Those treasures that we store up in heaven are the things that will last, the things that we seek after in this life. Um, we've gotten all the use out of them that we're going to get. Does that make sense? Amen? Sort of? You're kind of like, yeah, yeah, a little bit of ash, I think. Um, we'll talk about it more in small group this week. Um, that would be a, a great opportunity to do that. What I want to do right now is go to the Lord in prayer. And and I want you to think about these things. Um, we all need to, man, because it is, in our culture, in our society, man, it is it is the norm, okay? Um, Christianity costs us very little, especially in America, especially in the South, especially in a small town, right? It doesn't cost us a whole lot to follow Jesus. It's costing us more, right? Little by little, it's costing us more. Maybe one day it will cost us um, a great deal more. Um, I honestly kind of expect that in the coming generation, Okay. But if we lived in another place, if we lived in Saudi Arabia, if we lived in India, if we lived in North Korea, um, we would recognize uh, the great cost of following Jesus Christ. And we would also recognize that following Jesus comes along with a whole lot of sorrow and a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of deprivation and a whole lot of persecution, right? Um, But in those cases, we wouldn't look at those things and say, it must be because Jesus isn't here and he doesn't like me we would recognize that those were the hallmarks of following Jesus, that those were the things that demonstrated that we had actually turned over our lives to him. Amen? And so what I want to do is just pray. I just want to have a little time of prayer um, and, and for us to seek God in those things, asking him those questions. God, is my heart in those things um, the way that you have called me to? Um, are you? Um, am I seeking after you first and letting those other things come as they may? Um, or have I given my heart to the things of the world and seeking after it? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and and then I'll come back up and close us in just a minute. Father God, we confess that um, most likely we do these things every day. Uh, we live, um, we seek after, um, we judge our lives uh, and the world and others. Uh, we judge our righteousness, our success, our favor by these standards. Father, you have come, uh, your son has come into the world to flip all that on its head, um, to show us that, God, those those blessings that we see in this life are not necessarily uh, God the blessings of Your kingdom, but instead that You promise to bless us as we sacrifice and as we suffer and as we experience um, God the rejection and the persecution that that naturally. Come along with following your son, Jesus Christ. God, when we read about how, if they have rejected the teacher, they will reject you also. As we read passages where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God, we read those passages and I think they they lie empty on our hearts sometimes because um, we experience so little of that. Father, we want to seek you above all things. We want to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness first. God, if you um, decide to to bless with comforts here in this age, um, that we will thank you for those. God, we will recognize uh, what else could we do, um, but thank you for the things that you've given us. God, but do not let us love your gifts more than we love your person. Uh, let us seek after you first in all things. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. name is Within a word, I look and see Him there, made it into all my sin, because a sinless Savior died. My sin. To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me Behold him there, the risen Lamb My perfect spotless righteousness The great chain Christ with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my My God, that's my Savior. my God, Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. It's a good crowd tonight. It's good to see people back, um, and um, glad you're here. Um, let me uh, give you this benediction as we go. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. and Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.